you got a Bible with you, and get to the uh, Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 19. We're going to be uh, in Luke today and next Sunday, and then we're going to jump back into Luke in early 2022, Lord willing. But uh, we're going to finish up Luke 19 uh, today and next week. We're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 10. And so if you don't have a good Bible, uh, if you're online, if you don't have a good Bible, message me, let me know, and I'd love to drop one to you. Uh, if you're here with us, that we also have Summit Guest Connections. For those of you who have received the Lord Jesus and put your faith and trust in Him, how has your life changed since then? Since your conversion to Christ, since you dropped your old way of life and repented and turned toward Jesus and began following Him, how has your life changed? How is your life changing? Ephesians 2 tells us that we were once dead in our sin, now we've been, been made alive in Christ, we passed over from death to life after meeting and receiving Jesus. So, so how has your life changed? How is your life changing? What has He set you free from? How has He transformed what you believe about truth or about eternity, about how to live this life, how the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life, virtues such as love and joy, peace? Patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? I'm going to ask this question at the end, but, but what idol in your life needs to be dismembered? What idol in your life needs to be torn apart? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. He says this, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, nor thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is talking about this before chapter, before Jesus chapter in our lives. He says, and some of you used to be like this, past tense, and none of us can walk out of that list of sins and come out clean and flawless. At bare minimum, we're all idolaters. We're all prone to worship things greater than our God. We're all prone to see things, created things, as more worthy of our worship than our God. And some of you used to be like this, but it's so significant. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. After meeting and re receiving Jesus, you've been changed. You are now in a right standing with God. The stain of sin is now washed away. You're now growing in, in your faith, made holy because of faith in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. You're a new creation in Christ. It doesn't mean your life is free from sin. But by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, you are making progress for His glory. If you've received Jesus joyfully in your life, you've got a before Jesus story as well as an after story, a testimony of what we were prone to apart from the grace of God and then how after receiving the grace and truth of Jesus, how, our, how the direction of our lives has changed. In Luke 19 today, we get to see a, a very quick glimpse into who Zacchaeus was before he met Jesus, 
how he met Jesus, and how his life changed as a result. In 10 verses, we get to see a man's life changed. My hope is that as we look at the story, it reminds us of how the Lord has changed and is changing those of us who trust in Him. It also moves those of you who don't trust in Jesus yet to a saving faith. You're not here by accident. The Lord is at work in your life. He is still seeking and saving the lost. So my prayer is that for those of you who are lost, that you'd be found today, that you would joyfully receive and welcome Jesus into your life. In the CSB translation, starting in verses 1 and 2, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. What is a tax collector? Well, Zacchaeus is a Jew, and he's basically chosen to work for Rome, the nation that oppresses his people, and set up this multi-level pyramid where you're not just charging taxes, but you're gouging your own people. You're robbing them. Because there was no real regulation that, that said, well, that's too much tax to charge. Instead, a tax collector could charge whatever they want, give, Roman, give, give Rome their slice, and then keep the rest. So as a result, you got really, really wealthy. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That phrase isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. We're not exactly sure what it means, but we can assume here that Zacchaeus was on top of the pyramid. He was in charge of the local taxing agencies. And when you're on top of the pyramid, you get paid the best, right? Zacchaeus wanted to make the most money possible. He didn't care about the means. It was the end of wealth that he was after, and he was rich. He was effective at what he did. And if you were a Jewish person who went to, Ro went to work for the Roman nation to collect taxes, you were despised, a traitor, a disgrace to your to your family. To say that people saw that you were far from God is an understatement. And this is who Zacchaeus is. This is who he's been for years. This is his reputation. This is his way of life. Verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So you've got this very wealthy man who is at the top of the tax-collecting pyramid, and he's climbing a tree. This is not normal. If you're a businessman or businesswoman, you do not typically climb trees at lunchtime. Zacchaeus is doing something out of character for what purpose? To see Jesus, to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. It reveals a heart that is seeking a heart that is being drawn to Christ, a heart that is curious about this man named Jesus. It could very well be that Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus' interaction with Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew had left the business. And so word gets around and Zacchaeus is going, why in the world would Matthew, who was gaining so much wealth from being a tax collector, why would he leave that business to follow Jesus? I've got to see who this is. But he's a wee little man and has to resort to climbing a tree in order to see Jesus. There's an element of Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, trying to get a glimpse and look at him. But then what we see ultimately is Christ is the one who is seeking Zacchaeus. 
The Savior then and to this day is seeking and saving the lost. If you're currently rejecting Him, He is pursuing you. He's calling you out. He's calling you to Himself. And I pray you'll receive Him joyfully today. And then verse 5 and 6, when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus initiates this right here. The crowd is large. The people are all pressing in and Jesus calls Zacchaeus out in this moment. Out of the crowd, he calls his name, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Can you imagine the surprise that Zacchaeus must have had in that moment. He knows my name. He knows me by my name. How did, he, how did he know my name? Why did he call my name out? And he wants to come to my house? No one wants to come to my house. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. The seeker Zacchaeus has been sought by the seeking and saving one. And what does Zacchaeus do? Verse 6, so he, so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully, or as the ESV translation says, he receives him joyfully. Last week we looked at Jesus restoring the sight of a blind man, and after instantly being able to see, the formerly blind man began to follow Jesus, glorifying God. It's how Luke writes it in verse 43 of chapter 18. Joy is always associated with the people who have received and been changed by Christ. And with Zacchaeus, it is no different. This is more than just receiving the, receiving the person of Jesus into his home. This is receiving him into his life, his heart. And listen, he's not joyfully receiving a list of rules, a theory, a system of beliefs. He's receiving the person of Jesus Christ. He's joyfully welcoming a relationship with Jesus who is the embodiment, the fullness of grace and truth, who called Zacchaeus by name and said, hurry, get down from the sycamore tree. Let's get to your house. Zacchaeus is continually, or Jesus is continually calling us into relationship with him. He's calling us to welcome him, receive him. And listen, he's not looking to be a side part of your life. He's not looking to just be an addition, a bumper sticker onto your life. He's not looking to sit in the corner of your, of your home or your life, if you will, and be paid attention to some of the time. He's the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's too good, too powerful, too eternal to sit in the corner. Because He is eternal, because He's good, because He's glorious, He needs to be the center, the foundation, the cornerstone of your life. And when He is the foundation, that means that your home or your life, it's going to look differently on the outside. It's going to look different on the inside of our life, our hearts. It's going to look different outwardly as well. We'll see that in Zacchaeus. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out in the midst of the crowd, a crowd that knows who Zacchaeus is. He's a chief tax collector. He's hated. He's a disgrace. He's seen as unclean among all the Jews that are witnessing this. 
Verse 7, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. People are wondering, why would a rabbi hang out with a tax collector? Why would the righteous eat, with, eat a meal with the unrighteous? Why would the clean step into the home of an unclean? But this is who Jesus is. He's come to seek and save the lost. He hasn't come in order to remain far off or at a distance. He's come to be welcomed joyfully into our homes. The crowds have written off Zacchaeus. He's beyond saving. He's beyond the reach of God's grace because they're assuming that God's grace never runs in that direction. That the streams of living water, if you will, never run toward the desert of a tax collector's life. But this is what the gospel does. It makes streams of living water through the desert. It brings dry bones to life. It brings living hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. The Lord is in the business, according to 1 Corinthians 1, of choosing the insignificant, the weak, the despised, people like you and me, and calling them to Himself so that we would not boast in our greatness, but in our Lord, the Lord who is our righteousness, who is our salvation, who is our freedom. Who have you written off? Who have you written off? See, Jonah in the Old Testament, he'd written off the Ninevites. The crowds here, they've written off Zacchaeus. Who have you assumed, ah, never going to get saved? They're never going to repent. And you're thinking, frankly, the Lord is not able. That grace would never run in the direction of that person's life. May we repent of such Pharisee-like thinking. May we repent of such hopeless, unbelieving thinking. If the Lord can save us and rescue us from our sin, we are living testimonies that no one is beyond the saving, redeeming gospel. No one is beyond His reach. So as a result of knowing those truths, may that lead us to prayer. May that lead us to this posture of asking the Lord to, to call those who we love, who we pray for, who we long to see saved, that the Lord would call them by name. The ones who we are tempted to write off. May we confess our unbelief. May we be reminded of God's ability, His desire to move and save and restore. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, Because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus is saving he is the saving one, and he has brought salvation to this home, salvation through faith and by the grace of God. Zacchaeus has become convicted of his sin, his way of life, how it is contrary to the ways of God. And what you see here is the fruit of repentance taking place. Repentance has taken place internally in his mind, where he has agreed with Jesus 
A change of mind then has happened, which results in a change of action, a change of life. When you meet Jesus, your life is changed in an instant, and He continually changes you over the course of the rest of your life. Gospel change is always inward to outward. It's always from our our head and our hearts, then to our hands and our feet. It's never the other way around. John the Baptist says in Matthew 3.8 that believers are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In that chapter, he's talking about a tree that only bears good fruit when its roots and the core of it are good. So what we see here in Zacchaeus is the core of him is changing. Jonathan Pennington said this, Zacchaeus' giving is not an entrance requirement or necessary model for our own application of the gospel, but it is a model of the proper and natural response to God's saving grace toward us. So So it's not an entrance requirement, but it is a model. It's a picture of how life change is occurring. So don't misunderstand this story. Zacchaeus is not being saved because he's giving his money. He's not being saved through the work of giving to those he cheated. This is, not the whole, this is not what the whole of Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches continually, Ephesians 2 being an example, is that a changed heart results in changed actions. Faith leads to works. Love for God leads to love of neighbor. And generosity. Works do not save, but they instead reveal that we are saved. They reveal that inward repentance is and has taken place. So when a, tr- when a person truly repents, it is a... It's internal heart and mind change that leads to outward fruit. It's spiritual fruit that that keeps growing in light of repentance. The Pharisees were all about showing everyone how great the fruit, their so-called fruit, of their lives was. But at the core, at the root, was a heart that was still far from God. So the outward fruit, it was rotten with self-righteousness. For us who claim the name of Christ... We must be continually reminded that God is after our hearts. He's seeking to transform us from the inside out, and He is faithful to finish what He has begun. If you're here and you don't know Christ yet as Lord and Savior, to become a Christian does not mean to clean up the outside of your life, whatever in the world that means, and then, and then hope that outward change leads to inward change. No, to become a Christ follower begins first, first with humble surrender. Lord, I can't fix this. I can't save myself. I obviously can't heal myself from my own sin. I need your help. I need your saving gospel work in my life. And then that leads to an outward change. This is what we see in Zacchaeus. Grace has transformed a greedy heart to now a generous one. Jesus told us in Luke 16, it is impossible to serve both God and money. It is impossible to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yet still love money to the same degree. One has to move back to the back of the priority bus. Money is not evil. Wealth is not evil. The love or worship of money is. It is sinful. It is evil. It is contrary to how Christ followers are called to live because it means that you'll trust more in money than you will in Almighty God, which will lead to all these symptoms such as greed and stinginess and coveting for more stuff, 
Or it's going to lead to these attitudes. When, when money is unstable, it's going to lead to fear and anxiety and doubt. In Luke 18 that we've been in the past few weeks, Jesus deals with the subject of money and possessions. And I want to compare two responses. One being the uh, rich young ruler that we see in Luke 18, 18 through 23, and then Zacchaeus' response. So the rich young man and Jesus' interaction with him in Luke 18 goes like this. A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, You still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. The rich young ruler was unwilling to lay down the idol of money. This is what occurs here. He walks away sad saying, I can't do that. I can't surrender that. He was unwilling to worship Jesus supremely. He just wanted Jesus as a bumper sticker. To follow Jesus means that everything else in your life is second to him. He's Lord over all of it. And the rich young man was unwilling to do that. The command of Jesus to, to him to give it all exposed this idolatry in his heart. And he walked away sad because he still wanted to trust more in his idol. Zacchaeus, though, is a radically different story. He releases the idol because he's met someone greater. Zacchaeus was was willing to give up treasure in this world so that he might gain the treasure of knowing Christ and being known by Him. And the rich young man ends up gaining the whole world but losing his soul. He loses out on forgiveness, eternal life, eternal joy. He loses out on rest in this earthly life because he's more concerned with his relationship with money than a relationship with the Lord of Lords. Zacchaeus, though, made this transition from trusting in wealth to trusting in Christ from rejecting to receiving, and it led to this shift from a practice of greed to a practice and lifestyle of generosity. Author John Bloom at Desiring God wrote this short story imagining an, account, an encounter that Zacchaeus would have had with someone who he calls in the story Judah. And Zacchaeus comes to Judah's door in order to pay back four times what he has extorted from him. So just imagine this moment. Dad, there's a man at the door. He said his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus! Judas's, Judah's face flushed with sudden anger. What does he want? Under his breath, he, he muttered, the little vermin. His young daughter didn't need to hear that. I don't know what he wants, she said. Judah moved abruptly past his daughter, clenching his jaw. If that little weasel even hints at more money, I swear... And a thunderstorm of violent thoughts broke in his mind. When he saw Zacchaeus, he exploded, What? Zacchaeus reeled slightly from the verbal blow. I'm here to return something to you, Judah. What do you mean? The word sounded more like, Get out of my sight. Zacchaeus held out a small money bag. Judah was suspiciously confused. This man had robbed half of Jericho, collecting taxes for Tiberius. No one was more conniving and slippery 
with words, fearing some kind of setup, Judah didn't move. What are you doing, Zacchaeus? The cynicism hissed through Judah's teeth. I'm dismembering my idol. Judah's fiery glare turned to stony bewilderment. What are you talking about? Judah, I know how strange this must sound. And you have every reason not to trust me. I'm here because I've defrauded you. I've charged you more taxes than Rome required and kept them for my, for my wicked little self. I know that you and everyone else knows that. But now, I've come to ask your forgiveness for sinning against you like that and to make restitution. That's what's in this bag. Zacchaeus held it out again. This time, Judah took it nervously. He looked inside. There's a lot in here. It's got to be more than you overcharged me. Yes, it's four times what I overcharged you. I've got all the records, you know, Zacchaeus smiled. Why are you giving me four times what you owe me? Judah's distrust was now being dispelled. I'm keeping a vow. I promised Jesus that I would repay everyone I defrauded fourfold. You mean Rabbi Jesus? You know him? I do now. He's in town, as you know, and the other day I wanted to get a glimpse of him. But being, ah, short-legged, I figured the only way I'd get to see him was from a tree. Wouldn't you know, as Jesus passes by, he stops, looks up at silly me in the sycamore and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Judah gave him a puzzled look. Zacchaeus said, I know, I know, I was as shocked as anyone. How did he know my name? So Jesus and his disciples come to my house. And in a matter of minutes, my world falls apart and comes together. Falls apart and comes together. Judah, when I was a boy, I was in awe of what I thought money did for people. It seemed to open all the doors to power and pleasure, so I vowed to myself that whatever it took, I was going to be rich. And I kept that vow. Back then, I had no idea how empty being rich would be. But up until two days ago, I figured it was still better than the alternative but as I sat in my home with Jesus and his disciples who have nothing, nothing but God, Judah, I've never been happier in my life. And as Jesus spoke, it was like his words were alive. My heart burned with the longing for God that I'd never felt before and a deep shame that I'd traded him for money. Then it hit me like a cedar beam. I'm poor, not rich. They had God. I had a dead idol of money. They were rich. I was no more than a beggar. They were free. But the only doors money ever opened for me led to dungeons. My world, as I had known it, fell apart. And there sat Jesus looking at me as if he could read me like a scroll. Everything in me just wanted to follow him. I wanted the forgiveness and salvation he's been preaching about for the first time in my life. I wanted God more than anything. Suddenly, it was like life never made more sense. Before I knew it, I was on my feet, vowing in front of everyone that, well, I would dismember my idol. Give away your money, Judah said. Right. Well, some of it is your money. This time, Judah smiled. Later, Judah's wife found him staring at a small money bag on the table. What's that? A tax refund, he said. A what? I think we need to go hear Rabbi Jesus. Rabbi Jesus, why? I think we're poor, Judah told her. 
John Bloom finishes with this. Some of our idols need to be dismembered for us to be free of them. Jesus knows what they are and how to help us see them. It may feel like we are losing the world to lose them. That's okay. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever would lose his life will save it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Zacchaeus is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. The outward actions are flowing from inward transformation. So again, I ask you and I, how has Jesus changed your life? How is he changing your life? Have you relegated him to a corner of your home, a corner of your mind or heart in some area, some sphere of life? How are your out- outward actions different from different since receiving Jesus joyfully? What idol in your life needs to be torn apart for the glory of God today? Jesus says he has come to seek and save the lost because he has come for those who recognize their sin sickness and that their own efforts won't lead to healing. Only when we come to the great physician, Jesus, do we find healing because it is by his wounds we are healed. He came to save, seek and save people like Zacchaeus, people like you and I, who are prone to wander and stray, to go our own way, but then Jesus calls us by name. He says, hurry, come down from your idolatry. I want to eat with you. I want to be in relationship with you. May we have hearts and lives and postures that joyfully and gladly, not begrudgingly, but joyfully welcome Him and receive Him into our life. And as we receive Him joyfully, may we surrender all areas of our lives, including money, to His Lordship and His ways, because His ways lead to life, friends. His ways lead to our good, our joy, our freedom, and His glory the worship team could come back up. Some of you are Zacchaeus. You're climbing up into a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe you're here on Sundays to get a a glimpse of Jesus. In looking at Zacchaeus' life and how he responded to Christ, here's my loving encouragement to you. Receive Jesus joyfully. No matter how you've sinned in the past, Receive Jesus knowing He calls you by name despite what others will grumble and say. Receive Jesus without delay as a relationship. Receive Jesus in a spirit of humble repentance into the home of your life 24-7. Receive Jesus as Lord over everything. Everything. Cross point, Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost is extremely temporary. It is not an eternal mission It is an earthly mission. In the time that we've been given, may we be found faithful to partner with the Lord, empowered by His Spirit to seek and save the lost because in eternity, the mission is over. May we pray in boldness that God is able. May we show and tell of His love as His people. Father God, we trust You. We're grateful that You sent Your Son as a missionary, as, as a rescuer, as a redeemer. And now, Jesus, you are sending us out, empowered by your Spirit, with the promise that you are with us till the very end of this age, and that we go in the authority of Christ, in the fullness of his grace and truth. We are grateful for the life change that you 
have caused in our lives. And Lord, we don't want it to stop. We want life change to continue because you are faithful to finish what you've begun in us. We confess our idolatry and and in doing so, we know that we are met by your transforming grace. Would you continue to seek and save the lost? And would you be glorified? We pray this in your name. Amen.